This is a terrific country. But sometimes we go a little crazy. And maybe that's part of our greatness, part of our freedom. But if we don't watch out and calm down, it all may just spin out of control. That was Larry Hagman as fictional American politician Fred Picker warning against political disagreements spinning way out of control in 1998's Primary Colors. Do you think it could come to war, Father? Well, Oliver, when men run out of words, they reach for their swords. Let's hope we can keep them talking. And that was Richard Harris as real British politician Oliver Cromwell warning about what happens when things can't be resolved by talking just before our own civil war in 1970s Cromwell. This week, we're reviewing The Hunt, a film about the massive divide in our culture and politics made violently real. And we also talk about what else we've been watching this week in lockdown. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. You're listening to Cellcast, I'm Sam. And I'm Lawrence. Yeah, so we've been in uh, lockdown for about week 100 now. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what it feels like anyway. But um, what have you been watching this week? Um, so this week... I've been doing something that I've been meaning to do for ages, which is I watched two old swashbucklers starring Errol Flynn, Mm. Captain Blood from 1935 and The Seahawk from 1940. Uh, So Errol Flynn is, if anyone didn't know, is a movie star who's most powerful in the 30s and the 40s. And uh, he was the biggest name in Hollywood for a time. One of the films that we grew up with was The Adventures of Robin Hood, which is probably his most famous film. And it's a very early film memory that's given me like a lifelong love of swashbuckling films, uh, which is kind of old adventure films, tales of daring do, saving damsels, and usually having some fencing sword fights to dramatic music that goes like... Like that, and, and then... And then fighting and swinging on things, swinging on things, ideally onto ships or from chandeliers. And that settles that, my captain partner. No, you don't. Fuck up, it does. Come, sir. Wait. You'll not take her while I live. Then I'll take her when you're dead. Yeah, The Adventure of Robin Hood is probably the most celebrated Robin Hood film. Yeah. Um, I think Errol Flynn sort of captures his personality very, very well in it. Because um, essentially, like if he, he's all very, very cunning, um, of noble heart, um, and yeah, a very good fighter. Yeah, and he's the exact same in Captain Blood and the Seahawk. He's pretty much is, I think, for most of his career, he was essentially playing the same kind of thing, which is this very silver-tongued maverick who always gets the last word and always wins the fight, and is very noble and very honourable. Can always sticks up for the. For, for for the poor and the downtrodden and England and, and, and stuff. So what was the biggest difference between the two films? Um, uh, the funny thing is, is, there's not loads of differences between them. They're both directed by the same person, Michael Curtis, who also directed Casablanca and White Christmas and The Adventures of Robin Hood as well. So they are quite similar. Um, Captain Blood is probably more notable because it's the film that made... Errol Flynn, a massive, massive star, almost overnight. But I'd say that the biggest difference probably is that the Seahawk is actually a lot better. Like, I wasn't really expecting it, but the, the Seahawk is a lot better, even though it's not really as as famous in terms of classic Hollywood. Um, it's just, like, a lot better paced, and there's a lot more action. The characters kind of go through a lot more, like, 
um, pits and 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 high points and like and, and struggles and stuff, and it's a lot more exciting. Builds up to something. It's actually a real gem if you like these old adventure films. I'd really recommend going to see the Seahawk. It's about um, a sea captain who's loyal to Queen Elizabeth the First and goes on a secret mission to steal some treasure from the Spanish who are trying to build the Spanish Armada. He has to go to Panama to do it and stuff. It's just really it's it, it's just really a lot of fun. Does it feel modern in the sense that like the way the film flows like the length and the pace of it would match up to films made today? I think when you're watching these films they're always a little bit of an artifact. Mm. You go into them understanding that they're films that are of their time and and so you, they're not going to function the same way as a as a film um, made today does. But there's there's something about the you know I've got to be honest. There's something about the aesthetic that just probably isn't or <laughs> that he's just going to switch a lot of people off. Maybe back in the day they were the Michael Bay films of the forties. They were. So um, you know, in sixty years' time, the Michael Bay films will be the ones that um, we look back, we look back on and say, oh, they just. They were. They were so swashbuckling, and <laughs> so genuine. They were. They were. They, I think they. And, and I think if you read some of the reviews, I, I actually looked at some of the reviews of the Seahawk that I really, really enjoyed. I was quite annoyed that some of them were being a bit snarky about it and sort of saying like, "Ah, oh, well, this is like the biggest thing that they could make for all this money." And Errol Flynn and 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 it's. And I kind of got annoyed because I thought like, "Oh no, this is so much." This is so much fun, and it's brought me so much joy to watch these films. And it annoyed me that people were being snarky about it, but it probably was because they were the big trashy blockbusters of the day. Um, the Seahawk actually was a bit of a propaganda piece. It was a like a seen as a bit of a, a pro World War Two film because it was made in 1940 and we'd been in the war about a year. There are lots of speeches made by people, particularly Queen Elizabeth the uh, First, about a dictator coming and taking away freedom from people and she's talking about like the spanish king who sort of is looks over a map and says like all of this will be spain and it's like quite an obvious allusion to to hitler and so the film was kind of seen as that yeah some people might think that this is a bit hokey or silly but i think there's something really special about watching something that just makes you really really smile and that takes you back to a childlike happiness and some people have it with like rom-coms and other people and people have it with disney and uh, with me it's like if you give me small mustaches and people kind of speaking in a transatlantic accent and being like now you've bespatched my honor i'll run you through and then fighting and stuff that like i i just love all that and aside from the fun i had it is also always worthwhile to go back and watch a film that is of a genre or of a style that they don't really make anymore. Yeah, it is. It is. It is artifact, isn't it? What was the last good swashbuckler? In terms of like adventure films, I kind of really enjoyed um, the Legend of Tarzan from a few years ago. But apart from that, like a proper swashbuckler with like fencing and stuff, it probably would be the first Pirates of the Caribbean. In fact, Captain Blood shares a few of the same locations. Um, Captain Blood goes to Tortuga and hangs out in Port Royal for a bit, just like kind of Captain Jack Sparrow does as well. So they definitely share a they definitely share a setting. I saw a whole uh, a whole franchise. Yeah. 
for uh, which mainly, mainly for worse than the end. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it didn't really. That didn't really work out. But yeah, no, I mean, like these old Errol Flynn films, like Pirates, the Pirates movies, definitely took a lot from them. In fact, I kind of wish they'd taken a bit more. The fight sequences on the ships and stuff that are all like done for real. It's it's really exciting and really cool to see so many different people like all just like swinging into these ships that are colliding it's, it's really fun and you recommend people to go revisit it i i, I really do I, I think like i say particularly the seahawk if you're if you really have a bit of a a soft spot for some of these um for some of these movies i think the seahawk is, is really good like i say it's really it's well paced and it's exciting but if you've never seen any of a swashbuckle at all before i think you should probably just go and watch the adventures of robin hood because it's um, the the most one of the most famous of the genre. And I mean, everyone has got time at the moment to go and revisit the cinema of the nineteen forties. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Um, there is absolutely no excuse not to do it. No excuse at all. So, what have you been watching this week? Well, we rewatched um, the World's End from twenty thirteen, uh, which is the third film of the Cornetto trilogy uh, yeah. by Edgar Wright and um, Simon Pegg. So. Obviously, you had Shaun of the Dead followed by Hot Fuzz, and then uh, The World's End finished off in 2013. It stars Simon Pegg as Gary King, who takes his um, old friends from college back to the pub crawl they did when they were uh, 18. So, um, And his friends include um, Nick Frost, Paddy Constantine, uh, Eddie Marzan, and uh, Martin Freeman. Why did you go back and watch this? I went back to rewatch this because um, I really missed the pub. I think it it probably is the best film about what it's like to go to a pub. I mean, there's obviously so much more packed into the film than that. But I think there is this sense of this camaraderie and this this kind of like English tradition in a way. Mm. Um, I don't remember this at all. Has it been refurbished? We bought by a chain on it. Part of that nationwide initiative to rob small, charming pubs of any discernible character. Starbucking, man. It's happening everywhere. Can't take away the smell, though. Sure they tried. But then built on top of that is just this story about what it's like growing older, about being disappointed, about not achieving everything that you wanted to, of imagining the type of person you'd be when you were 18, and then the person that you are when you're close to 40. And I actually think Gary King, who's Simon Pegg's character, is probably the most complex and fascinating character of the Cornetta trilogy. He's kind of a manic depressant, um, yeah. alcoholic. Um, I think he's jealous of his friend's success without acknowledging sort of their own problems that they have. And I think it's a lot about like the nineties compared to the noughties as well, and like the terrible tens in a way. I guess like in the nineties, you had sort of a lot of independence and color and sort of vibrant culture in terms of music and fashion. Yeah, as you got into the noughties and the, the tens, there's a lot more homogeneity and sort of a vapidness to it, and that's the way it's shot, really. I think when you get the intro um, of the film, you see all of them back in the 90s. And the cinematography is sort of very fresh and quick and funny with lots of um, sharp cuts. And then when you get transported into like 2013, or maybe even like a little bit before, it's sort of slightly depressing and vague. And there's like the the colour tone of it is just very grey. Um, and so I think they're trying to make a point about the difference in the decades. Yeah, I agree with all of that. What I like about The World's End is what you've just got across as well, is that it's kind of about like lots of different things, or, or it could be about lots of different things. You can read it as lots of different things. You can kind of read it as something about, yeah, about 
two different uh, decades or you can read it as kind of like having that nostalgia when you're older for being young is really really misplaced um you could even weave in a kind of brexit analogy there now and again but like you could also just make it about the the british pub you could make because it is obviously based around a pub crawl but then you could also say that it's about how the kind of the culture of the pub is starting to die a little bit like pubs are closing all the time or they're being taken over by big chains and it's that thing that big chain thing that i think the world's end is slightly aiming it itself at this idea that yeah they're losing a that they're all losing a kind of personality and all just becoming the same thing again yeah which is like where the homogeneity comes in really yeah how there's this real lack of independence in who we are and what we are in um, in this sort of current culture. Um, and actually, I think people of a certain age do look back on the 90s as like nostalgic time when it was sort of cool Britannia and there was just sort of felt that there was this sort of new wave, a new way of living. Yeah. I mean, and, but as well at the time, it's like a comedy. You yeah. know, it's still got that like Peg, Reich, Frost humour in it. Um, everyone's bouncing off each other. There are lots of repetitive gags. You go and rewatch it again, and there are sort of um, there are jokes that you didn't notice the first time. They get funnier and funnier each time you watch it. Um, I think actually it's probably it's the most underrated of the the trilogy, and it didn't get a bad reception. But I don't think people were as in love with it as they were the first two films. But I, I'd actually put it above Shaun of the Dead for me. I put it. I'd go Hot Fuzz, World's End, and then Shaun of the Dead in in that order. Really. That's an interesting placement. It does get a, a really bad rap. I think it also ends on a bit of a funny note. The finale is the is the, probably the weakest part in all the Cornetto trilogy. Not the end end of the film. The reveal when they kind of defeat the threat. Maybe it was like well intentioned as as meant to be like quite funny and kind of relatable of like drunk people sticking it to to someone of authority, but actually comes off as quite petulant. And actually, quite um, up its own ass, and not very self-aware at all. And I just wonder whether maybe because people were left with that, that's why it didn't really work. Yeah, I think it's the weakest part of the Cornetto trilogy. That final segment where um, they meet the network, the this sort of alien life force that is behind what has happened in Newton Haven, in that it's turned everyone into robots and slaves. Yeah. Um, and actually, like, I don't think it's well scripted. I don't think it works out well. But despite that, I think the strength of what's come before, in terms of the way that the five actors, especially within that group of friends, um, and Rosamund Pike, actually, the way they all play off each other, the action scenes. Yeah, again, this idea between. Yeah, this sort of dynamic of um, comparing the different decades that it takes place in, yeah. uh, the cinematography. I just think before that, it's so strong that even though the ending lets itself down a little bit, I still prefer it to Shaun the Dead within that um, that set of films. I wanted to watch it again because it reminds me of going back to the pub and yeah, hopefully we'll be back there soon. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, this week we were pretty bare on offerings on Netflix and Amazon, but something that is up for rent and something that I've heard a few people talking about, when I've been talking to them on the phone, of course, still self-isolating here at Cellcast, um, but a few people to me have mentioned that they've rented The Hunt, which was a movie that came out just before uh, the lockdown Locked down. In fact, it was the last movie I went to see at the cinema. 
uh, back then, but it's now available for rent, and Sam's going to tell you what the plot is. Twelve captives wake up in a clearing in a forest and are mercilessly hunted by a group of faceless predators. As they start being picked off, the members muse about how this could be part of the Manigate conspiracy, an annual event in which liberal elites kidnap and hunt working-class conservatives. Or, as a haiku, Ain't woke, you're hunted. The culture war gets real. Now who got triggered? And here's a clip. I know what this is. It's Manigate. Every year, these rich elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us. Where'd they get you from? Wyoming. Orlando. Mississippi. This is a real thing. You're hunting human beings for sport. Then you're not human beings. So, um, good news. If you think there's a culture of rich liberal elites controlling the conversation and attempting to enforce an impossible, hypocritical and ignorant morality to the world then this is the movie for you. Um, I definitely thought it's a movie with a target in mind. It's different from just having a kind of political edge. It's definitely focused on sticking it to a group. Um, It thinks it's a problem. And that's liberals and progressives. What what, what was interesting for the trailers is, although you definitely get that sense, um, I was kind of expecting maybe that to be just a flavour and actually it to be more like a kind of... Um, hunting human beings for sport film but actually I think it's most, mostly what I took out of it where it's politics, it's politics where it's most overt thing Yeah, maybe that's what it's marketed as like a bit of a an action film um, that could be like a bit of a I don't know, something like a bit of a like in the grindhouse genre but um, actually, yeah, it is much more like political than, um, than perhaps it leads on in trailers I think that's a lot of critics seem to have been a little bit divided on this, whether it's more of a B-movie or more of a political film. But I think maybe it comes down to how successful you think the film has been at being political and getting across a message. Did you did you think it, it got something across? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it definitely feels like we live in times which are very divided in terms of left and right. Um, and actually, it just feels like it's just a bit of an allegory for... When there is no middle ground, when there is no compromise, everyone just ends up killing each other, and nothing really ever succeeds. Yeah, um, and that's where we are. Yeah, and that's and that's and I think the director Craig Zobel, that's what he really wanted to get across in some aspects: the fact that there is just this like this huge um, tribalism within politics at the moment. Um, but he's also put together a few competent action scenes as well, so um, yeah. everybody wins. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually don't think it was just about being divided. In fact, I'm not really... I actually think it being divided is more of a flavour. Like I said, I think there's a. I think he's got his sights set on the left wing and the progressive. So is it, you think it's more critical of that than it is of the, the right and the uh, so-called well, deplorables? I think it... I don't think it exactly jumps to the support of the conservatives as saying, oh, well, they're just uh, misunderstood, like, victims of a... Of a, of a crazy culture and actually the liberals are the big bad wolves. I don't think it does that. It does this thing where it, it it represents them as being quite cruel and bigoted and conspiracy theorists and everything. So there's part of me that feels it's kind of well balanced So because it doesn't quite fall on either side. But then the other side of me kind of thinks that it's kind of doing this, uh, doing the thing that where it's like, 
oh, we're against everyone, so that anyone that doesn't like it, they can just scoff at and says, well, you shouldn't take it so seriously and stop getting so offended. I just hate everyone. I mean, honestly, I quite, I quite enjoyed, despite me being a liberal and a lefty, I, I did quite enjoy it, and I think there were some things that are really on point. I mean, I'm not so ingrained that I don't mind a good roasting. I think there's plenty of flaws on the in the modern left that this film really successfully satirises and I think that in some ways that's its biggest strength but I think that's uh, what's a really good twist about it the fact that so the premise of the film you set up with these people who have been kidnapped and then they're being targeted by a bit of like a yeah a faceless enemy then they're trying to escape and you think oh well you sort of have sympathy for them in the beginning then as you sort of slowly start to realise that some of these people belong to the alt-right you sort of tend to get less and less sympathetic, and in the end, you're sort of probably wanting them to die in excruciating ways. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, um, maybe not Betty Gilpin, but I'll get on to her later. She's like kind of the, the main uh, survivor. Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel uh, too sorry for a lot of the people there. Isn't that part of the problem? That I mean, you say we kind of you, you kind of don't mind when they're when they're part of the alt right getting murdered in some ways isn't that kind of the problem that the uh that the film's slightly highlighting and slightly trying to kind of dig into a bit one of the biggest problems that i think the left has that it's kind of exposing here is a kind of moral superiority and a really violent demonization of those on the other side i don't know i feel like the liberal elites the people who are part of this manigate conspiracy the one the ones who are hunting the um, the working class conservatives. Yeah, I feel like they're just stereotypes of what people on the right think the liberal elite are because they're just really patronising, like ultra PC, PC to the point of that you can't really have a proper conversation because they're constantly trying to outwoke each other. I don't think it's ever really grounded in reality. I don't think you can ever really say that these are particular specimens of the left or the right. But I just think it's kind of it's again, it's those two different sides um, amplified to the max and taking each other on. Yeah, I mean, you're, so maybe I it's you're... not take, maybe it's not really making too much of a serious point. It's kind of saying, oh well, here are here are the two sides. This is the cultural that we currently live in. Let's just watch each side try and kill each other. Is that a bit of a missed opportunity? Do you think? Do you think it could have been? I think if you, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, a part of me is well. I really like the action scenes in this. Yeah. I think definitely compared to Bloodshot, the film we reviewed last week, the action scenes are much more coherent and contained, and there's just a real sort of frenetic energy about them, which actually matches the um, the pace of the film. So I think they were really co- coordinating in a really good way. So on like one, on a fairly like superficial level, I didn't really mind that maybe it wasn't making too much of a political point in terms of that the action scenes were were good. But yeah, yeah maybe there was an opportunity to say more, say a little bit more about the, um, the reality of, of politics in 2020. I mean, this film got banned at one point. So, you know, people were wondering whether, it, is it just because of the violence or is it also because of not wanting to heighten tensions between, you know, two different groups? There were those rumours floating around about why this was getting banned. But actually, probably just a big fuss over nothing, really, because I don't really see this exacerbating any problems. In fact, I think it 
successfully. Like I say, I think it successfully satirizes both points. I mean, maybe that was just the way to garner more interest in it. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, it had a pretty uphill struggle with it being cancelled. Just to, well, with it being in cinemas and then the coronavirus hitting, which meant that it didn't really make any of its budget back. No, tough time to be released as a film. Um, on the action scenes, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think particularly like the final fight scene is has a really good build up and then it's very well choreographed and also was quite funny. I think the action scenes here are definitely trying to make you. Um, I think there's de- several points in the action scenes where it's trying to make you laugh in a in a in a either by just being horrified or kind of black comedy about the the situation the these people are in um or if it tries to subvert some ex- expectations and slightly pull the rug out from you which it does do a few uh, a few times which is is very effective i think it's definitely supposed to be the the action's supposed to be funny as well and it's really effective as that as well as just being really well put together and quite exciting I just back on the politics a bit. I think actually in that final scene, you get it almost at its most politically clear and penetrating. In that, ultimately, whatever you want, whether it's kind of they're, they're taking the mick out of the out of liberals' political correctness or how like identity politics um, become really self-flagellating and then hinder people more than they help them. The biggest sin that the hunt accuses uh, liberals of is hypocrisy. It's ultimately saying that the greatest, the, the worst thing that liberals and progressives do is that we're aggressively intolerant under the flag of being the most tolerant. And then we become the things that we hate without a hint of self-awareness. We self-actualize a kind of terrible thing and we self-actualize more terrible things in the world with some of our liberal viewpoints, we end up making things worse, stirring the pot and ruining any kind of cohesion or peace. Yeah, and how the liberal elite are perhaps even more angrier than um, the alt-right in many yeah. regards. And more violent yeah. and stuff. Even though they're trying to portray them in that context. And um, I think it did, when I did. I, I think it successfully held up a bit of a mirror. I felt, as, as, as a lefty that's lived through a lot of the stuff that, you know, since you know, 2016 and beyond. The rise of populism. The rise of populism. A lot of my friends will attest to me angry rants in various forms. And um, I definitely saw myself as falling into some of the traps that the hunt kind of laid out as like, this is this is slightly the problem for liberal elites. And actually, I think uh, with Crystal, who's basically the main protagonist. Played by Betty Jilpin. It's all revealed over the course of the film that um, she's non-partisan in a way. I think it would be wrong to release too many plot points because I think this is a film that is better to go in without with knowing as little as possible. Um, but yeah, over the course of the film, she yeah she's basically painted as a character who's sort of more non-partisan. So even though she is part of these working-class conservatives being hunted by the liberal elite, she's the least political of all of them. Um, so I think that's perhaps a reason to um, to follow her. She's not. She is definitely one of the quote unquote deplorables. But it just she doesn't have any of their flaws. She's she's very very angry. That's very key to the character and actually key to like kind of again the final conflict of them mm. both being these the just people full of rage and just just firing at it is at each other, but without the prejudice and the flaws of her 
quote unquote team. Yeah, exactly. And um, but I think she's op- still conserv. She was still conservative, but she just wasn't. Is she? Is she ever really revealed as that? I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think there's. Yeah, again, I mean, there's like an aspect of her character that's revealed that I don't really want to go into, but I think it's kind of shows that she's out of everyone. She doesn't really care who she's fighting, but she's just basically trying to survive. Um, yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't say she was conservative at all. Yeah, she does at one point say like, "Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kill them because they're trying to kill me." Or something yeah. to that effect. So yeah, I mean, she does over the course of the film talk about this fable, which is like an updated version of the tortoise and the hare, and uh, she basically tells that fable. I don't think we need to really sort of remind people of that. But at the end of it, after the tortoise has won, um, the rabbit comes to see him, kills him, and kills all his family. And this is a fable that was told to her, or the updated version of the fable, told to her by a mum. I think in that, I just get the set. Well, you're sort of meant to decide, well, who's the quote-unquote deplorables and who are the, which is the liberal elite in terms of the animals um, and how how does that sort of like work in what the film's trying to say. And I sort of saw that as like, well, ultimately, like the, like the tortoise is the, like the working class conservatives and the rabbit's the... Like the liberal elite, because essentially, even though you can beat them once, they'll still, due to their money, due to their power, due to their wealth, their influence, they'll still always come back to screw you over. Mm. I thought that that kind of little story was a bit evident of of how much of a kind of culture war I think certainly the the filmmakers see us in, and we are to an extent. It's the sense of like, well, it's going to be all or nothing. Like one. One side isn't just going to beat you in a race. Like, one side is going to kill the other. We were in this until the other side is completely and utterly destroyed. And I do think... I think the film does get that across. I mean, it's it's not the most subtle of metaphors, but it's... It's not a very subtle film. It's not a very subtle film. It's not meant to be. It's an interesting companion piece, because obviously, like, last week we reviewed... Um, the platform, which was a lot more left-wing and quite anti-capitalist. I guess it's interesting to compare things that, that feel like they're on different sides. Yeah, and we talked about how, like, I think the platform is a bit of a hybrid and that it's a horror film that's influenced a lot by politics and philosophy. And I think you could say the same about um, about The Hunt, really, in that it's an action film, but threaded through is this idea about, yeah, the culture war that we're currently living in. I really want to touch on actually the two people that I liked the most in this, which was uh, Betty Jilpin, um, who plays Crystal. And she, I thought, was really... She was the kind of perfect action hero you want to root for because she was just this person that was just really good in a crisis. She's really pragmatic and tough and and ruthless without being completely cold-hearted. So she was a person that you like enjoyed watching. And she was quite um, driven and serious when she needed to be but she had these kind of she had quite like animated bits where you got the sense of a personality and she wasn't just a robot um and i liked and i liked that i think she was really watchable um the other person i was surprised as she i was actually surprised that she featured in all the trailers because when i went to see it i i didn't i'd completely forgotten she was in it but hillary swank playing athena who's the leader of the liberal elite is just brilliant i felt like this person who's very much uh, part of the the Hollywood um, elite and might be one of these people that's a target of of, of conservatives. Actually, she wasn't afraid to 
have a bit of a laugh at herself and actually um, play this villain that's that's clearly mocking the liberal establishment that she comes from. And I thought that was really fun. Plus, she was like she was slightly chewing the scenery a bit, and it made her great fun to watch. And she was a, a perfect arch villain. Yeah, I think her character is really well structured because you actually don't really. Um... She's not properly introduced until the final third of the film. One through a scene in terms of a flashback. And that but that's more of a way to like give some context about why like the Manigate conspiracy came to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um and then it's in that final scene that she really, as you say, gets to chew the scenery, has more dialogue. Um and I think that came together really well actually, that you just got her right at the end. Um and yeah, you really felt the full force of her. In terms of what she's saying, and in terms of her, like in terms of the action sequence, um, but yeah, it's good to see her again. I mean, she had a strange career in that she won two Oscars in quite quick succession, yeah, and then actually has sort of tailed off, like towards the like the latter end or towards the like um, the middle part of the last decade. She's sort of her like made a couple of bad choices in terms of films, like wasn't. Not a lot of films that weren't commercially successful, independent films that didn't really make much of an impact either. So, um, yeah, I guess it's it's sort of interesting when you see these characters go out of the limelight and then come back and do um, do a little cameo like this. It's sometimes the curse. They, they say it's a bit the curse of when women win an Oscar is that they don't get cast in very much after that. Like, once that there's only a, there's only a select few... Uh, women that retain their kind of star power about it it's a, it's a curious thing but yeah she's a good she's a great actress i mean actor sorry can't yeah. say you can't say uh, oh you yeah. oh don't you don't want to get cancelled <laughs> don't want to get cancelled yeah um all all in all i'm you know i really like that this the whole kind of subgenre of action stuff where it's like hunter versus the hunted you know you start off by someone's being um, you know, hunted for sport, and then they turn the tables and, and then go against their pursuers. It's a dynamic that lends some fun, satisfying, kind of violent set pieces, and the hunts, you know, no different from that. But um, it's and it's got some, and it does have these some some really great action sequences. But I think the thing I'm going to take from the hunt the most is the really good roasting that it slightly gives the the left wing, and I think it was quite fun. I don't know how seriously you can really take it and does it does it really make any kind of strong solid points or fix the culture war no because i don't think it is as much about kind of like come on guys let's all like come together as much as it is saying that there's there's a there's a problem with the left and and these are the problems that they create even though it doesn't paint the the, the conservative side as angels it's it's mainly got its target on the left, and and I think some of the points it's making are are, are relatively accurate. Despite me being, I'm, I'm part, I'm, I'm a flag waving member of the the PC brigade. I think you know, fair's fair. It's got the the darker side of the left wing pretty right. I think the film has got some good laughs and well structured action stuff, but I I really think that if you're out there and you've you're a bit fed up with PC culture, or maybe you think that the agenda that you know all films have an agenda slung towards the left. I think this is the film for you. Yeah, um, I think overall it's rare to have an action film that is sort of less about geopolitics of style and one 
which feels more relevant to the political points we've been talking about. Um, and I think it is like smart enough to like have a discussion about it afterwards. Oh, come on, honey. Tell me, what's wrong? He's wearing a wedding ring. He's a monster. Honey, he probably uses the N-word. And not even in private. He probably uses it on Twitter. Those people suffered 400 years of bondage at the hands of that piece of shit's ancestors. Those people? Sorry. Black people. African-American. Privilege, Julius. It's perfectly fine to call them black again. (laughs) According to who? NPR. Which consists almost exclusively of... White people. We're the fucking worst. So if you like this, I think you should watch Team America World Police. And the only thing standing between order and chaos is us. So Predator, Surviving the Game, Hard Target, Apocalypto, all of them are about the hunted turning the tables on the hunter, but few have a real overt political edge, so I'm kind of veering away from those kind of films, and I feel that honestly, if you really enjoyed the hunt, it's going to be because you enjoy the liberal elite getting a really good kicking, and who better to go to than one of the most prolific progressive punchers, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Uh, Team America is a gloriously immature cornucopia of foul language, toilet humour and violence as fictional defence force Team America must employ an actor to help them in the fight against terrorism and dictatorships across the globe. And it's all told with puppets like in Thunderbirds. Parker and Stone, directing and starring in this, have the same kind of against-everyone attitude The Hunt does, but with an eye on the left and really sticking it to them. Uh, the liberal elite here are the Film Actors Guild, a.k.a. FAG, and I don't really approve of that joke, but that aside, these actors and the, the liberal elite here turn from naive pacifists into malicious dictator defenders and are gloriously dispatched by uh, Team America. The film's allegory for geopolitics being boiled down to dicks, pussies and assholes is both like the kind of spiel you'd find coming out of a teenage boy's locker room and strangely on point to a certain degree. Its release in the middle of the war on terror and just before the war in Iraq makes it even stranger that Team America somehow gets away with it in my book. It's so wonderfully infantile and silly that you just don't have to take it too seriously. Plus there's some great musical numbers. Yeah, I think it's a good uh, comparison because it's a comedy that's more gross out than anything else. Um, And The Hunt definitely has those moments, but... Like The Hunt as well, it also has quite broad political points that it's making, even though they are kind of quite immature and yeah. um, slightly pig-headed. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with everything that it has to say, similar to The Hunt. But yeah, I think they've both got the same target in mind. If you want to watch something that's more in the spirit of The Hunt, then definitely Team America. Yeah, so even though it was made in 2004, it's uh, not very PC with the... Uh, uh, film like skill jokes that yeah you, uh, it's not great do you think in the context of the war on terror it's like do you think it kind of gets away with it because to an extent the film sort of says like well america's really crap in its foreign policy but we kind of need them to do it which is just not true no i don't think but again because it's such a silly ridiculous and just over the top film i wonder if it's kind of 
mirroring what was being said at the time and that it's like oh well yeah we're not going to this sort of war on, like war on terror isn't going to please everyone but it's a necessity it, it's also slightly kind of satirizing it saying that they're they are idiots for doing it at the same time and if you didn't like this then you should watch elysium Hey, Fred, we have to split up. What? Listen, you're going to go to the surface. Okay, take this. All right, find a house. Get her to a med bay. Okay, don't work. stop. Don't stop she for anybody. She doesn't have an ID. It doesn't work. It will this time. I know how to fix it. If you think that socialism isn't always such a bad idea, but you also want to find a film that makes people explode in fun and interesting ways, then I've got the film for you. In the future, humanity can heal nearly any disease, but you have to be super rich and afford a trip to Elysium, the glorious health spa in the sky. If you're not, you slave down on Earth in bad, deregulated conditions. One worker, Max, played by Matt Damon, his second appearance in a film this segment, develops a terminal condition from a shoddy workplace and has to fight his way to a cure on the titular floating oasis. Elysium is about how corrupt conservative politicians will use violence and lies to brutalise an underclass, murder minorities and profit, profit, profit. And of course, that healthcare should be free for all. So if the Hunt's conservative rage really burnt your gluten-free toast, then this will be the smashed avocado to smear all over it. But really, it is a lot more aspirational and optimistic than The Hunt, which is not because it's left-wing, but just that The Hunt isn't really saying anything or giving a solution, whereas Elysium does have a solution to some of the world's ills. It's also an action film, but cut from a different cloth. They're both quite gory, even gleefully so, but Elysium is slicker and more bombastic. The director, Neil Blomkoff, has a wonderful way with action, designing technology that is kinetic, Robot suits clunk, energy shields spark and fizz, and grenades and rockets connect, bleep long enough for the victim to notice it, scream, and then explode in a torrent of viscera. It's brilliant stuff. So if you didn't like the hunts, more down-to-earth destruction, then have a bit of sci-fi sparkly splatter. Yeah, Elysium's amazing. It's a really smart action film. Um, I think it's probably smarter than the hunt, actually. Uh, Okay, yeah, maybe it's like a bit more partisan, where I sort of felt the hunt's... Kind of, and maybe even Team America, it's taking, it's punching both sides in a way. I think, um, yeah, Elysium is definitely more coming from a left wing point of view, as you've, yeah, as you've made clear. But um, yeah, I just think in terms of um, its momentum, um, in terms of like the again, like the the action set pieces, the CGI, the visual effects are used very, very well. Um, yeah. And I think actually um, Max, who Matt Damon plays, is um, a really interesting and sympathetic character. I think it's obviously got that um, sci-fi element to um, it's sort of set in this slightly sort of slightly dystopian world. Or I mean, maybe even kind of it's what it's not going to be what America is definitely going to be like in you know a hundred years time. But um, I think with the type of healthcare that they have over there then it definitely feels like it could become that sort of really harsh, unfair, undemocratic way of, yeah, looking after people and um, giving them the, um, the healthcare that they need. My favourite thing about this film is probably Charlto Copley. Who he's has, brilliant. He's yeah, just an amazing supporting character. I think he's his best role to date, to be honest. I haven't seen him in everything. But I remember he's just this... He's just this um, character in an action film that you sometimes get who's just complete carnage. Every time he comes on scene, he's just trying to 
destroy something or blow something up using like a yeah a litany of weapons um and yeah i think he's just an amazing brooding um force um actually maybe brooding is the wrong word to use because he's just absolutely batshit crazy isn't it? It, it, <laughs> yeah he is but there is something about him there's like this shadow that's present whenever he's around partly because of his look and everything but it's, it's funny with Shadow copley because he often plays really nice like likable people and quite likable characters and quite there's something quite soft about him but in this he's he's very vicious and stuff i think i even read an interview of him where he said like oh if anyone offered for me to play a nazi i wouldn't want to because i've already gone to too dark a place with this character which is quite funny because it shows uh because the the character's not like horrific to watch but it shows how nice of a person Shutter Copley is that he just doesn't really feel comfortable playing this kind of person. But which is a shame, because actually he is a pretty good villain. He is really uh, quite ruthless and uh, complete carnage, as you say. And I think you need that balance in the film, because actually like Max is um, so sympathetic yeah. and so dedicated to his cause that you need a character who's yeah just complete anarchy really to so yeah to give the film a bit of balance in terms of characters the politics of it i mean it's it is like a bit more um partisan but like ultimately it's just kind of saying well i think healthcare should be free because it it just creates lots of desperate people otherwise and it creates a really unfair system that's ultimately whenever healthcare isn't free it's generally down to corruption which is seems to be something that even America uh, is going to start to hopefully warm to more and more. Um, maybe something like Elysium won't seem like such a, a, a an extreme choice. Maybe it's actually kind of weird, um, especially in today's context, that uh, Elysium can be looked on as like such a left wing film because maybe a lot of the stuff that um, you know the main point is going to get across in america in in a few decades or so won't be that extreme at all thank you so much for listening to cellcast you can find and subscribe to us on spotify itunes apple podcasts and soundcloud as cellcast and come follow us on twitter at cell magazine and like us on facebook.com forward slash cell magazine